John, we're going to open our first show of 2024 with something new, the new Yankee bench coach, Brad Osmus. Yes, glad to have him. I'm glad that you were able to get him. And uh, Brad Osmus is a very smart guy, one of the smartest guys in the game. Obviously, he started with the Yankees. They lost him when they made a couple of mistakes at the, that uh, expansion draft. Uh, to I think it was the Rockies. I can't remember at this point. It's, yeah, it's been 20-something years ago, so uh, maybe 30 years ago at this point. But uh, yeah. it's great that he's back with the Yankees. Uh, I do think it's important. Some people can just kind of slough off bench coach, but you know what? I thought the Yankees uh, underachieved last year for whatever reason, and Brad Osmus is a guy with experience as a manager in two places, and I always think that's a big plus. I think Don Zimmer was a big plus for the Yankees. He obviously had more experience than anybody, but Brad Osmus has enough experience, and I think he'll be a big help to Aaron Boone in that dugout, and uh, it's another plus for the Yankees. Yeah, he replaces Carlos Mendoza, who goes and uh, becomes the manager of the Mets. We'll talk about uh, with Brad Osmus about uh, becoming – the Yankee bench coach, what his responsibilities are and more. And John and I will try to sum up what's going on in a free agent market that's still hardly moving unless you're a giant superstar. We'll do all that, play hitter error at the end if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. John, Happy New Year uh, to you, your family. I want to send it out to all our listeners. Thanks for always for listening to us. Uh, John, New Year, old story. Uh, if your name isn't Otani, if your name isn't Yamamoto, a few others, I think we still have a couple of hundred free agents, so it's an old story. Uh, what do you think about our current market? Uh, it's amazing. My list is many, many pages long. Uh, I mean, the relievers, that don't seem to be a market beyond... Uh, Ronaldo Lopez with the Braves a while back. Uh, I mean, Hayter still out there and many other guys who are pretty darn good. They may not be Hayter, but they're really good. Uh, the hitting market is going very slowly. Uh, incredible. I mean, we've had Heimer Condelario and a few other stray guys signed, but basically all the top hitters, I mean, obviously Otani signed. Uh, he's both a hitter and a pitcher, but uh, it's incredible how many how many guys are still out there and our two local teams? I still feel like they need to do something more. Yankees have improved. Uh, did you see the Yankees are the heavy favorite now to win the AL East? I mean, obviously they got Soto, they got Verdugo. You know, Baltimore hasn't done much, but I mean, didn't the Yankees but John, you know, like 20 games behind Baltimore last year? I mean, maybe I'm crazy. I don't you know get more it. about betting than me, right? Like that, those are odds best uh, based on like what they think the betting will be, right? Like that, the Yankees are kind of a public team. 
and they got Juan Soto and people will think that they'll they'll bet on it. I mean, I think if you and I who know, I think a little about baseball, I don't know that we'd make them the favorites to your point. Uh, it, it's, it's a hornet's nest. They might be good enough. Now, if they had landed Yamamoto and you believe in Yamamoto, I think they could catapult to the favorites. But to me, John, it feels a little bit like they got a great big kitchen table in Soto. They have no chairs. Their offseason was to get the table and chairs. Uh, they had based a lot on getting <laughs> Yama Soto, right? Like that yeah, was the right. idea. They were going to get both guys. I think they were stunned in the end that he went to the West Coast. You were probably a little less stunned. Your reporting, which is always excellent. You kept, you know, you had talked about the West Coast perhaps having an advantage there. And I think just at the end, John, there's a lot of things that happened, but the Yankees. I think wanted to stop at about 275 million. They were willing to go to 300 million. Right. At 300 million to go further, just to understand, for our, they were told that it would take a 50 million dollar signing bonus. So it's a 50 million dollar signing bonus. It would have been a little over 50 million dollars in posting fees. So it means the Yankees would have write, had to write a hundred million dollar check on day one right. if they were going no, I'm to not blaming do them. this. Yeah, I'm not and blaming them. All in with the luxury tax implications. It's over four hundred million dollars for a pitcher who has yet to throw a pitch in the major leagues. Yeah. Having said that, where do they spin now? Because it was they were so enamored that this guy could pitch at least as a number three starter, if not better. So where where do they yeah. spin here, John? First on the betting, I know neither one of us is a better, so we're not neither yeah. is, is going to be an expert. But I think they do generally reflect reality. If it's that easy and they're that wrong, we could all somebody could pile in there and make a lot of money. I, I mean, I think generally people think the Yankees are the better team than than the Orioles, which I mean, what were they eighteen games behind them, something like that? I, I don't I don't know that they've made up eighteen games. Even if you think Soto's a Seven war player that's still had 18 games. I mean, obviously, he's not replacing anything great. So let's give him an extra seven wins. But um, I, I'm not seeing it. Now, as far as where they pivot now, I mean, there are still pitchers out there. They were planning on Yamamoto. I don't know. I mean, you, you know, I was talking to him throughout this time. They were pretty confident about yes, this, right? They were, I mean, they were Yankee cocky. Like we were talking about Musino, oh Sabathia, or Tanaka. This is, they really thought they were getting this guy. Absolutely. And I think. I think this is a little bit like Otani the first time around. They were very confident they were going to be big players on Otani the first time around. They didn't even make the seven finalists. And they then pivoted and made it a, bit, a big historic mistake by going to Giancarlo Stanton out of the pivot. Now, they haven't quickly pivoted this time, <laughs> right? They haven't quickly pivoted, yeah. but they still need – John, I think they need two starters. I don't think they need one. I think their plan was on one end – to get Yamamoto and on the other end to do like Frankie Montas and take like a guy who, if everything worked out right, could start a playoff game. And at the worst, maybe get 15, 20 starts. And then you work back in Clark Schmidt and Will Warren yeah. and Clayton Beater, et cetera. That's what I thought the plan was. Yeah, I think there's a theme here. I think they were overconfident on Montas too. Uh, Montas yeah. apparently told the coaches that he really loved it there and he'd love to return. Does that mean he should go back for half as much money as he's going to get somewhere else? I mean, I don't know what they think about that, but they seem like they're kind of annoyed about the whole situation and they thought they were going to get Montas. I mean, my understanding is they offered something around $8 million. I think they were upping it to around $10 million. I don't know if there were incentives too, but I mean, Montas got $16 million in Cincinnati. You can live pretty well in Cincinnati on $16 million, yeah. probably $10 million or probably even $1.6 million or whatever. But, uh, you know, they were way too confident on Yamamoto and I, I don't know why. You know, Yamamoto, obviously, he's not going to give it away during the negotiation, right? Even when he was in New York, 
uh, meeting at Steve Cohen's house, he then requested to go meet with the Yankees. So, I mean, they became even more confident, and I, and I get why they did. But, I mean, I, I don't know, Yamamoto, I think he prepared himself for this. Uh, he's a very competitive guy, and he talked it up big. He seemed to know a lot about Yankee history, and uh, they were sold that they, they were going to get him. Now, he, he got a better offer in, in L.A., but, I mean, I think nothing that was said at the – press conference makes you think that he was really going to go to the Yankees or the Mets anyway. I think he was wanted to go to the Dodgers, and it worked out great for him. He did a great job. His agent did a great job. But now I think the Yankees need to pivot. I know you mentioned Stanton a lot. Obviously, that um, on the whole has not worked. It looks very bad at the moment, particularly. I mean, let's not forget he was good the first year. He's been very good in the postseason. But right now it obviously looks bad. I'm not opposed to pivoting. They are the New York Yankees. I understand they're the favorites for some reason that I can't explain. Uh, I still don't think they're the best team, and I, I certainly don't think they're better than the Dodgers. And so, I think baseball is great when the Dodgers are great, and the Yankees are great. And I look, their pitching isn't as good, right? They traded a bunch of guys to get Soto. I mean, I'm not denigrating that trade. I would have done it too. But right now, it's not a deep staff. I'm with you. They need two guys probably. Uh, you know, and there are a lot of guys available. I'm not saying you have to get Snell or you have to get Montgomery, which we'll see. I mean, maybe they have preferences elsewhere too, right? Montgomery maybe prefers to go to Texas. That's kind of the guess there, but there are other pitchers out there that could fill what King was going to do and other guys were going to do, uh, whether it be Mania, Lorenzen. There, it's a long list of guys. I got my list right here. There's yes. About- it's it's a, as you mentioned, it's multiple pages. Of it. <laughs> well, yeah, you I know, got many pages. Here we go. You know, many you know what surprises me a little, John, and maybe this speaks to how my brain works, is like they 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 clearly, the Yankees, and by the way, the Mets wanted them also, uh, were in on Yamamoto. That's the guy they wanted. And yet, and he felt more certain to them, having never pitched in the major leagues than other guys. Like Blake Snell has won two Cy Young Awards in the major leagues. Now, I feel like there's a whiff of Carlos Rodon about Blake Snell. I'm not sure that this is the locale he should play in in New York. Jordan Montgomery is a guy they had. Is the group that traded him, believing he was one thing, about to pay him as a completely other thing? Shane Bieber is probably gettable from Cleveland. He missed two months last year with an elbow injury. His stuff was down before then. He's a free agent in a year. We saw the Atlanta Braves pivot hard away from Dylan Cease because the the ask was so much and take a big gamble yeah. on Chris Sale. Like those are the available guys. Is Corbin Burns going to get traded? I think only if they got a you know hostage level return or they're going to play it to <laughs> July and see where they yeah. are. Will Miami trade one of their starters? Does Seattle have to cut more money and willing to trade Luis Castillo? All that stuff is going to cause such an abundance of prospects. You know, you got to think about like a Jason Dominguez type of guy. Right. I do think by swinging and missing on Yamamoto, the Yankees are in a situation now where they badly need something. And the it's it's more of a mystery and uncertainty than a guy who never threw a pitch in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, everybody loved Yamamoto. Everybody's convinced. I mean, when Cashman went out there, he threw a no-hitter. But even beyond that, his ERA lifetime is 1.8. So, I mean, he obviously is an outstanding pitcher, throws 96, 97, poise, all that. I do think that he's going to be really good. But, you know, at this point, we got to get, we got to get beyond that. They didn't get him. He's with the Dodgers. The Dodgers are fantastic. Um, you know, it is the New York Yankees. I'm not opposed to doing it via free agency. Uh, I don't think they want to trade Dominguez anyway. Certainly not going to trade Volpe. 
I don't see how Luis Castillo is traded or probably anybody from Seattle. I don't think Burns is getting traded. Since the price is huge as it should be, Bieber, I think, is good but has questions, as you said. I mean, I think they really have to investigate this free agent route first. And I'm not saying you have to go out and get Snell and you have to pay him everything, whatever. I mean, to me, Montgomery, I think, it, you know, while they're, they like Montgomery and certainly like him more than they did when he left and he pitched great and he beat – you know, the irony is he's the guy who could beat the Astros in the playoffs, right? The Yankees didn't want to use him in the playoffs. and then he That's what they up. thought Rodon was going to be, the guy who could beat the right. Astros in the playoffs. I think yeah. they should stop worrying about the Astros and just <laughs> improve their team. John, you know, to your point, I think, you, you know, like I we've, we've mentioned this uh, previously in, I think, Collins, but uh, it's a big point. You, you, you hinted at it. The expectation is that the uh, regional sport network issue is going to get resolved this month. And the yeah. Rangers, who I think make over $100 million a year through, you know, Diamond Sports Group, right. uh, you know, the Bally's group that went bankrupt, they're going to have it clarified. And there is this suspicion within the game that once they get that clarified, that their number one guy might be Montgomery. Once they know how much money they have, you know, they got to get through a first half of the season, likely without Scherzer and DeGrom. And like bringing back Montgomery, who they know works for them. Uh, right. You know, might be the way they 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 go there. And I just want to throw in one other thing because I think it's interesting. The Yankees, if they get the 2022 version of Nestor Cortez and Carlos Rodon, who were both All Stars, by the way, that was a 268 ERA combined in over 50 starts. Last year, it was a six ERA in 20 something starts combined for two injury played guys last year. You know, if those guys pitch like number two and three starters, which they did as recently as 2022, yeah. the Yankee need decreases but how much of a risk can they take that those guys are going to pitch like that and Garrett Cole is going to remain unbreakable like right. as they move forward well I trust Garrett Cole I mean the other two guys have been you know obviously they were hit and miss they were hit the year before or missed last year so uh, they clearly want to agree with us and are trying to go get somebody and are thinking about Montgomery and are thinking about Snell and all the other guys that are out there I'm sure um, Montgomery, I don't want to say long shot, but I, I'm with you. I think Texas is the team. I thought so from the beginning. I think they're going to resolve this issue. They're going to get a one-time payment. Rumor is it's going to be $90 million. You know, maybe that won't cover the whole bill for Montgomery. But, you know, you would think he'd want to go back, right? He was a World Series champion for them. Why wouldn't he want to go back? So I, I can't think the Yankees are a favorite there. I mean, even, the, you know, certainly maybe they'd be gun-shy now because they were so confident on Yamamoto. Maybe... Maybe they don't feel too confident about the other ones. But, you know, I think that he'd want to go to Texas. Now, Texas probably could use Hader as well. So maybe they would go in that direction. I don't know. But there are a lot of teams that could use Montgomery. And he's been linked to just about everybody, including the Mets. Boston, his wife is a medical student in, in Boston. So maybe he prefers that even over the Yankees. So I don't think their chances are that great on Montgomery. I think it's either Snell or probably a multiple you know, a multitude of these other guys that are have been good in the past and have potential like uh, Ryu, Manaya, you know, somebody like that, Bieber as a trade. Um, they they do need to do something, though. I'm not saying it has to be Snell, but to me, that's where the focus needs to be at the moment. John, why don't we uh, wrap up this segment uh, by talking a little about what the Mets do pivot-wise here. They also didn't get Yamamoto uh, you know, Steve Cohn went to an awful lot of trouble. He flew to Japan. That didn't work. Uh, he had him uh, for dinner at his house. That didn't work. Uh, the suspicion is now they want to add at least one, maybe two guys, not big money. The 
Ryu, Manaya, like level up uh, a guy. Uh, what what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, they said they were going to be competitive, and if they add a couple of those guys, I think their rotation will be okay. And I mean, you never know. I mean, I know I still can't figure out the odds board exactly. They were only plus seven hundred. <laughs> Philly was plus three fifty. So I mean, is Philly only a little better than the Mets? I know the Mets so much better than Miami. I mean, they finished way behind Miami. They weren't even close to Miami last year. Now Miami was a little bit fortunate in terms of they won a lot of close games. Maybe they're not as good as their record, whatever. But, I mean, I think the Mets can be competitive if they get a couple of those guys. I mean, Paxton I would kind of lean away from because he's had some injury questions. Uh, Ryu seemed to be coming on at the end of the year. Manaya was pitching very well at the end of the year. I would kind of maybe look at those two guys. If you get both of them, you have Severino, you have Quintana. Obviously, Senga was a fantastic signing a year ago. Their rotation is decent at that point, and, you know, they can be competitive. So yeah, I, I, I just don't want them to be liars. I, I think they need to be competitive, and right now they're they're not necessarily competitive despite the the odds. The uh, You know, I'm not <laughs> plus 700. I'm not putting any money. I'm not betting anyway, but I'm not betting on the Mets at plus 700. Yeah, look, you know, John, I think one of the ways they make everything better is they should try to win on good relief pitchers. I know you've mentioned maybe Hayter uh, as a guy that obviously is yeah. going to the very top. But I think if they did, say, a combination of like Jordan Hicks and Hector Neris, you know, like like suddenly two guys who you could imagine with Diaz really locking down the last nine outs of the game, suddenly it's easier to have yeah. Ryu, who's probably a five, six inning pitcher at this point, or Minaya, the same thing, or bring some of the young guys along. I think it's one of the ways they get to contention is having a much better bullpen. And the bullpen market has hardly been touched to this point. Look, I, right. he didn't have a good year last year, but I'm a big Wandy Rodriguez guy, uh, uh, um, uh, Wandy Peralta, Peralta guy. Yeah. You yeah. know, I went back to the Astros 20 years ago on Juan yeah. Peralta yeah. guy. Even Rob, uh, Robertson, I don't, you know, yeah, you know like, good for the Mets like guys who you know who can play here, who have, you know, real fortitude, are not afraid of the moment. Anyway, uh, yeah, you know, look, John, I suspect by the time we're back doing this again next week, we'll have about a couple of hundred free agents still. It doesn't feel like things are moving quick. <laughs> no, they're not moving quick. With, yeah. Yeah, let, me, let me just finish on, yeah. on the on – the, Bullpen. I, you know, I'm, I was playing fantasy baseball a little bit there with my column to suggest Hater. I'd love to see Hater and Diaz combined, lefty righty, two the two best closers in the game right now who are healthy. I'd love that, but I think you're being more realistic to, to say Neris and say Matt Moore and Robertson and Jordan I mean, Hicks, who has big Hicks, stuff. Yeah. Right, right. There, I mean, I don't know if I'd recommend Chapman, but you know, there's a long list of guys with talent who could fill out that bullpen and they need a lot of help in that bullpen. That, that's probably more realistic. Uh, your, your solution is probably uh, closer to the mark than mine, but you know, it's not my money. Uh, so I'm it's easily, it's easy for me to spend it. It's Steve Cohn's money. And I feel like these are markets because of his money. He could really separate himself. And we're not talking about Yamamoto or Tani type money where I think he could separate himself. Uh, John, as I mentioned, I think we'll be talking about this for quite a while, right up to spring training and maybe even into spring training. But if you stick with us on the show, coming up next is the new Yankee bench coach, Brad Osmus. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. 
in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. John and I are so pleased to be joined by uh, the new Yankee bench coach, Brad Osmus, 18-year major leaguer. Interestingly, four teams, but not the team that drafted him, the New York Yankees, who took him in the 48th round in 1987. But he's a Yankee now, hired to be uh, the bench coach for Aaron Boone. And and uh, Brad, you're replacing Carlos Mendoza. And I, I, I wondered about this. Is Mendoza is now going to manage the Mets. Uh, he's going to be a manager for the first time. You've managed in two different locales in Detroit uh, and with the Angels. What does Carlos Mendoza not know? Can you not know until you actually become the manager and you're sitting in that chair and not just an observer? Oh, yeah. It's funny for me because I did the opposite, the opposite route that he did. I started out as a manager for those two teams, like you mentioned, and then I went to be an events coach. Um and you discover that sometimes the manner is just the manager is just the, the position of authority. And uh, there's going to sometimes be headbutting that goes on with the authority. Um, as a bench coach, it's actually much easier to kind of relate on a personal level with the players um, because I am not the position of authority. What, let me ask you this, Brad. Why did you decide to take this job? You have been a manager in two places. I think you were a candidate in Houston, probably several other places as well. Uh, it didn't feel like you got a fair shake with the Angels. Uh, you, you don't have to say it. I did. Uh, why, why did you take a job as bench coach? Well, you know, I was so I was Mark Kotze's bench coach a couple of years ago in Oakland. And I, I, uh, Kotze is a good friend of mine. It was a hard decision because he wanted me to come back. And I just said, you know what, Kotze, I think I want to try and do something else. And I kind of took a tack to, to get into the baseball operations side, uh, more front office type stuff. Uh, I didn't know if I'd get another opportunity to manage. And I thought that was going to be my best opportunity to be, really be involved in, in, you know, putting a team together, roster management, uh, personnel moves. Um, and I did get the, the GM interview in Houston, and that went really well. Um, uh, but really, other than that, I didn't get a lot. There wasn't a lot of interest. So. Fast forward to this offseason, and Cash and Booney called me and asked if I wanted to be the bench coach after Carlos was named as the Mets manager. And I was like, well, if I want to get in the game, I got to do something. And it's New York. It's the Yankees. So uh, that was kind of the decision-making process. I wonder what the year away was like. Uh, you obviously had been involved in this. I think you were drafted as a high school player, and you went through the minor leagues, right, as a as a minor – like you didn't play at Dartmouth, but you played in the minor leagues – for the Yankees. So you've been doing this probably since your late teens every year. What was a year away like? Okay. So it actually wasn't my first year away. The year I got let go by the angels. Oh, okay. That was after 19. I had 20 and 21 where I was not in baseball. I was, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I, I still had a contract and I decided to enjoy some time. Um, last year wasn't me enjoying time as much as I was forced to enjoy time. <laughs> And and what do you, what did you do? Uh, like, uh, did you stay on top? Of, are, are you uh, watching games? Are you making a lot of calls to people to try to stay current? What what do you do in the year away? Well, I definitely every single morning got up and looked at each box score. Went through every single box score every single day all season long. Uh, watched games here and there, but truthfully, because Mark Kotze would call me from time to time, I spent a lot of time focusing on the A's. I was with him the year before, and uh, I, I still. Uh, tried to be a sounding board for him. So I, I tried to stay current when I could. 
uh, with the A's. You know, Joel and I were there, I think it was probably late 92, when uh, the Yankees made that mistake and lost you, Charlie Hayes, and Carl Everett, three outstanding players who were going to all be Charlie was already an excellent third baseman, and you two had fantastic careers in the big leagues. You for 18 years. Uh, what does it mean to come back to the Yankees? What, what exactly did the Yankees mean to you? I know you grew up in Connecticut. I did. I grew up right on kind of the the DMZ of Yankee Red Sox <laughs> fandom, um, and uh, I was very excited when Cash when Cash first texted me. Um, you know, even though I had, I had really kind of set sights a little higher, I went God. Yankees are tough to turn down, man. This is this is the most storied organization, you know, in sports. Never mind baseball. Um, so I was excited. I was trying to tone it down for cash a little bit because um, <laughs> I knew there was an interview process. But uh, I was very excited. Yeah, just just this little side note. The most amazing thing about that expansion draft in 1992, where Carl Everett, yourself, and Charlie Hayes were taken, the Yankees were hurt more than anyone. But they really could have been hurt. The Yankees never protected Mariano Rivera in any round of that expansion draft. Uh, so the dynasty could have died that November in 1992 before it even began. Brad, what what do you think you bring uh, as a former major league manager? You know the area. Obviously, you grew up in this a- area. Uh, you played in the minor leagues with this team. What do you, what do you bring to Aaron Boone in this job? Well, I think primarily I bring a voice that has sat in the exact same seat that he sits in. Um, you know, uh, the new the newly minted Hall of Famer and hasn't been inducted. Obviously, uh, Jim Whalen told me. Uh, when I got the job in the choice, he said, hey, this is going to be a lonely seat sometime. So I learned that it can be. And it's nice to have someone beside you who you can talk to about whether it's tough decisions, tough situations, dealing with players, uh, tactics, whatever it may be. Um, it's just different if you're in that seat. So I think in addition to that, I have the in-game experience. So he's going to get another opinion and he's going to get what I feel is an honest opinion is going to be the truth, whether he wants to hear it or not. Um, and hopefully that's how the respect gets built between, uh, between Booney and I. You know, I know, I know you follow the game very closely. Yankees won 82 and 80 last year and, and Brian Cashman declared it a disaster. Now there aren't too many teams, maybe the Dodgers, maybe a couple others who would call 82 and 80 a disaster. But why do you think the Yankees are going to be better than that this year? I mean, obviously they've made a couple of moves, but uh, you know, you know, they, they probably still need pitching. Uh, where, where, what do you think about the team that you're joining? Well, I think you're, you're certainly a better offensive club immediately. Um, as you know, with Soto added, um, you got Verdugo as well. Um, it's it's certainly a better offensive club, but I don't disagree with everything you say. Now, I'm a bench coach, so, you know, Cash isn't calling me, asking me about player uh, moves or roster acquisitions. Um, but yeah, I don't disagree. It'd be nice. It would have been nice, you know, if you got a guy like Yamamoto or, or a top of the ro- rotation to the middle of the rotation guy, but it's, it's tough out there. It's not easy. There's 30 teams. And, you know, even if you offer more money, there's no guarantee they're going to go with you, but I don't disagree with you. So you, you live in the San Diego area. The Soto has been there for, um, was there for a year and a half. Um, I'm assuming you saw some of him, uh, the world knows kind of, of course, who he is. But what does what is the impact when you take as good an offensive player as him and put him into a line? The Yankees were not a good offensive team last year. They were, in, I think, the bottom six or seven in runs per game. They were tied for the worst with the A's in uh, batting average. What does a singular great offensive player bring to a lineup? 
Well, there's different types of great offensive players. The one thing this guy really does well is get on base. And, uh, you know, I don't know how Booney's going to have the lineup shake out, but there's another guy that's pretty good at driving people in. So <laughs> he, he immediately uh, gives more opportunities to Aaron Judge. Now, the, the key to all this is they both have to stay healthy. Uh, we need them healthy um, because they're phenomenal offensive players. And I said this not too long ago to somebody else. As good as they are, we need other people up and down the lineup to contribute because Juan Soto and Aaron Judge are not going to get hits every single day. They're not going to drive in runs or get on base every single day. You need contributions up and down the lineup, even trickling onto the bench. Being in San Diego, you obviously saw Soto, but you saw Blake Snell as well. And obviously free agency can be a funny thing. Every team wanted Yamamoto. Here we are in January and about half or more of the free agents are still out there, including the NL Cy Young winner and, by the way, trivia, if the Yankees do get Snell, and who knows what, what happens here, uh, they, they have the two defending Cy Young winners. I think that's the first time since 1990 when the Royals had Brett Saberhagen and Mark Davis. I don't think anybody else knows that, but somebody looked that up for me today. Uh, having seen Snell uh, pitch over there for a couple of years, what, what were your observations? And do you have any theory as to why this is taking so long for a guy who won the Cy Young? Um. You know, Snell is a little bit of a tale of two pitchers. He was outstanding this year, obviously. Uh, struggled a little bit last year, but seemed like he returned to form. So he's he is an interesting uh, potential play, uh, starting pitcher. I don't know. I'm not sure who his agent is, quite frankly. So, that, you know, that can always play into why he he's, hasn't signed. Um, but he's, good. He's you know, he's a top of the rotation guy for sure. I'll, I'll gladly take two Cy Young Award winners <laughs> in the rotation. <laughs> His agent, you might have heard of him, is Scott Boris, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which maybe explains. Oh, why. hey, don't don't tell Scott I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you mentioned the rest of the lineup having um, to produce also in conjunction with the two great stars uh, in their prime, Soto and Judge. I wonder how much homework are you doing to this point. I wonder if you could pick out a guy or two, a healthy Rizzo. Volpe in year two what what where do you think this needs to come from and why I don't know that uh, truthfully if I'm qualified to to tell you because I wasn't around the club last year and really all my information I've gotten since I was hired is discussions with Aaron Boone about the players uh, their abilities their makeup Uh, I can tell you this uh, Booney loves these guys he thinks it's a great group of guys that uh, they really mesh well together he's a big fan of Volpe I know he won the gold glove and um, hit some homers, but he was also a first-year player and he made some first-year player mistakes. Um, but it's it's not just him. It's Verdugo. Um, you know, it's Grisham. It's it's up and down the lineup. It's Trevino. You know, I want to ask you about your career a little bit because it, it's kind of an amazing career. Uh, 48th round draft choice, as Joel mentioned, and by the way, 1,971 games is the most by a Jewish player. I saw this on Wikipedia, so I believe everything I see on Wikipedia. But Joel and I appreciate that it's the most by a Jewish player. So a mazel tov for that. Uh, 48th <laughs> round, though. You ended up playing more games than the 1,150 players who were picked behind you. How did you do it? Squatting back there, I mean, it looks dangerous to me. I wouldn't go back there for five pitches. Well, you know, fortunately for me, uh, there was a few general managers that really enjoyed the pitch selection, pitch framing uh, aspects of being a catcher, working with a pitching staff. 
because my bat was light. Um, and I don't, I don't know which way I would have gone if I played nowadays. Maybe I would have been valuable because of pitch framing, or maybe I wouldn't have been valuable because I didn't hit for power. So, um, you know, 48th round picks, they don't even have 48 rounds anymore. So I, I would have been a free agent signing, if anything. Uh, probably would have ended up going to college if they didn't have all those rounds. I think they, they might have had 70 rounds at that point um, when I was drafted. Yeah, um, I'm also wondering, you, you you know, John mentioned your your catching career. You no, you were known, you won three gold gloves as a top flight defensive catcher, as a cerebral guy. Talk, I wonder if you could discuss the balance between, you probably have great instinct, internal knowledge of the game, and we're always having this discussion against whatever the data that is provided to a team. Um where do you fall in this as trying to decide how to, you know, as you're the bench coach to, is your job to be instinctual, to turn to Booney and go, I know you got all the numbers, but my instinct, my history says we got to be thinking about X here. So let me, let me give you a little background. When I was with Houston, I created the, the opponent lineup scouting reports every single series for eight years. And I ran the meetings with the pitchers, right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers. And I actually did this with data. I did this with, back then, it, it's still around, but it was, it was, I think it was college kids sitting in a chair marking pitches. But um, it was called Inside Edge, and it wasn't perfect, not nearly as accurate as today's, not nearly as much information as today, but it was something. And I found, after doing this for eight years, that that data, for the most part, was right. It's going to get you to the right spot when, when you're calling pitches. Now, that being said, there were many times where I had to go against the data because I thought the data was leading me in the wrong direction or it had already led me in the wrong direction. Um, so I do firmly believe that data helps. It helps you, especially putting a roster together. Um, but you can't be afraid to make a decision with your eyes at times. It's not going to be a ton of times. Uh, there's going to be extenuating circumstances often when you do do that. Um, but experience does have value. And I'm not going to put it on par with data because I think data is going to get you most of the way there. But you have to have some feel for what's happening on the dirt in front of you. You know, you're obviously a very smart guy with terrific experience, not as a player, but a major league manager, front office. You bring a lot a lot to the party. Uh, you do, you are well acquainted with the Astros. I mean, I'm sure you're aware that the, the Yankees bugaboo has been the Astros. Uh, do you, you sense that this is part of the reason that they wanted you so much? Or, I mean, obviously you have other qualifications, but uh, you're very close with Bagwell and many of the other Astros, and they've done very, very well, as we know, in New York. Yeah, I don't, you know, I am close with Bagwell, although I, don't, I haven't talked to him much since I signed with the Yankees. <laughs> um, you know, the Astros that were never mentioned and, and during the course of the interview process, the Astros never came up. Okay. But I will say, I will say this though. You know, I've known Booney for years from playing against him. And I, I've mentioned before, he was at a Christmas party here at my house, uh, him and his wife. So I do know Booney and I've known Cash really since I was in big league camp with the Yankees um, as a minor league player, I'm going to say it was probably 91, 92. And I believe it was cash's first full season as an employee of the Yankees, not obviously not the general manager or president. Um, so I have, although we, it's not like we've stayed in touch on a weekly basis or anything. I have known cash for decades. 
You know, since you mentioned that again, how you knew Cash from the early 90s, and we all remember the day that you were drafted. What, what, what I mean, Joel and I were chasing Tim McCleary and it's Gene Michael and trying to get answers as to what exactly went wrong. Uh, although, as Joel pointed out, it's probably lucky they, they someone drafted you or the Rockies drafted you instead of uh, Mariano Rivera. What what was that day like for you? Were, were you stunned? Uh, I mean, that's that's a, I mean, there are a lot of positives to being a ball player, but that's kind of a negative that you could be a Yankee one day and now on an expansion team. Yeah, so that was in uh, I believe November. I can't remember what month it was in. It was yeah. in the offseason. I'm I'm guessing November, and. When I was in the minor leagues, I was bouncing back and forth. I was playing in the minor leagues during the spring and summer, and then I was going to Dartmouth College to get my degree during the winter. So when this happened, I was actually at Dartmouth sitting in front of a TV in a fraternity. And, you know, the the people, the announcers on the, on the program had said, all right, because after each round, the Yankees or each team could protect another three or four players. So after the first round, they kind of predicted I was protected. And then two rounds later, my name is called and I was flabbergasted. <laughs> I was stunned. I, I thought I was going to be a Yankee for life. You know, when you're in the minor leagues, I drafted by him. I played with him for five and a half years. I thought I was going to be a Yankee for life. And instantly, I'm a Colorado Rocky. And this is pre-cell phone. The Rockies call my parents in Connecticut. And my parents have to call me and give me, I think, Dick Balderson's number to call the Rockies and have them welcome me. It was a more innocent time. It definitely was uh, <laughs> November of 1992. One of the two hosts of the show got married the same weekend of that expansion draft. So I know it was November of 1992. Uh, you. You, you mentioned, uh, Brad, that uh, just as a way maybe to wrap this up, that you would uh, thought at one point you'd be a Yankee for life. It went on delay for several decades, but you are a Yankee now. I wonder what do you look most forward to in being in that uniform with this organization now? I mean, truthfully, I want to win the World Series. I want to. I'm not. I'm not making any predictions because I don't like to jinx things. I'd love to see a parade in New York City. That's really what I'd love to see. Yeah, well, that's good for me. Also, it's about two blocks that way. <laughs> if there's a, if it starts in the Canyon of Heroes, which it usually does, uh, Brad, we do appreciate it. Uh, our our we we could let our listeners, our viewers on uh, YouTube know you 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 really helped us here. Uh, our initial guest had a bag out at the last second, and Brad, you uh you were you might not have done it in your career a lot, but you were a great pinch hitter for us here. And <laughs> we 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 truly appreciate you uh, uh, joining us on the show, and uh, best of luck in the job. And I'm sure we'll both see you in Tampa in in several weeks. And you weren't as bad a hitter as you're making out to be. I think you're modest. I know your well, defense was your calling card, but. It was. I got pinch hit four a lot more than I pinch hit four. I get it. I <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the show, Brad. All right, guys. Good talking to you. We, of course, thank Brad Osmus for joining us on the show. John, is for the first time in 2024, let's play hit and error or error. Well, I'm going to start off negatively with an error. I'm going to give my error to the Cubs. I loved what they did last year. Dansby Swanson is an absolute winner. They certainly improved, came within one game of the Arizona Diamondbacks and making the playoffs. Maybe they would have made that run. I thought they were going to do something big this year. Certainly when they signed Craig Council to manage, who is one of the best managers in the game and paid him an unprecedented $40 million to manage. And uh, I still think they need to do something in terms of offense. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, their revenues are huge. I was just in Chicago. I dropped my daughter and her cousin off. They went ice skating at Wrigley Field. <laughs> I didn't even ask what it cost, but I'm sure it costs something. And, you know, they're making money like crazy. Time for the Cubs to start spending. Yeah, you know, no doubt, you know, uh, Cody Bellinger, who was arguably their best player last year, still a free agent. So, you know, maybe we'll see something along those lines, uh, you know, before it's all said and done. John, I'm going to uh, give a hit to a team that's maybe been the most active team this offseason. I think they've made nine or ten trades. They've moved money around on the chessboard like crazy, and they've addressed some issues, all with a level of risk, and that's the Atlanta Braves, as they try to you know stay better than the Phillies, Mets, Marlins, and keep pace with the Dodgers. Uh, and I, 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 I do wonder when all the over-under stuff come out from the handicappers, if they're still going to be over the Dodgers. You know, they brought in Jared Kalenic, uh, Kelnick, not my idea of a guy. I always worry about immature guys. I think he showed his immaturity. I think the fact that the Mariners essentially just gave him away to get rid of money suggests that they, they were tired of it. But he's clearly a talented guy. I think he was the sixth pick in the draft by the Mets. He clearly has talent. Does he solve left field for them? The other you know positions, the other eight positions are solid for them. So that's the position they're trying to solve. They're gambling on Chris Sale. Can he make 20 starts and be upright to make a couple of postseason starts in October? Ray Kerr, a heavy, uh, you know, cur great curveball, uh, high octane fastball lefty guy. And also Aaron Bummer, another lefty. They went very lefty heavy. They know that ultimately to get back to the World Series through the NL, it's Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber on the Phillies. It's Freeman and Otani on the Dodgers. They want to have plenty of left-handed arms for it. And I just like at a time, John, we spent a lot of time in the previous segment talking in a previous segment talking about gridlock, nothing going on. Alex Anthopoulos is a very aggressive baseball executive. He goes and tries to solve his problems. Yeah, I think you said it right. It's a gamble. It's a risk with sale. But, you know, I'm not going to bet against. We talk about betting a lot on the show, and we never talk betting. But uh, <laughs> I would never bet against Alex Anthopoulos or the Braves. Uh, you know, I, I think look at sale as a gamble. He's been injured the last couple of years. I mean, certainly, he, he, you know, he did win a championship. So you can't say that was a bad signing with Boston. But uh, it's a lot of money for a guy who's been injured. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think the Phillies are really good. Like last year, I picked the Phillies to beat the Braves. I was wrong. Again, the Braves always get come through. I probably should be uh, tired of picking against the Braves and being wrong every single time. So I'm going to agree with you here that uh, they're a hit. They're a thumbs up. And they've certainly done a lot. And uh, they do things differently than everybody else. And it usually turns out right. Yeah, John, uh, hopefully we could say something positive about our podcast doing something right, because it's exciting news. The show's a finalist for the 2024 uh, Sports Podcast Awards for base, Best Baseball Podcast. We need your votes. Fans out there, please go to sportspodcastgroup.com, click vote now, and vote for the show under Best Baseball Podcast. The voting ends January 28th. It does help. If you like the show, give us a vote. All this kind of stuff helps. Like if you go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to our uh, podcast, please give us a five-star rating. That helps. What helps the show every week, Andrew Hartz, Jake Brown, our terrific producers uh, who uh, help us week to week. Something else new I just want to mention, you know, watch us now, uh, the New York Post Sports YouTube page. You can find the show. Uh, we're on that now. Uh, and John, it's 2024. 
We got a lot of free agents. We have arbitration uh, numbers being exchanged in two weeks, spring training in about five or six. We've got a lot to do. So we hope you stick with us. The show, a podcast from the New York Post.